all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 315 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Byzantine calendar edition of the SLS Cast because it turns out that the years 5823 to 5824 of the Byzantine calendar are rather interesting because we don't use them, and so according to our calendar, it was actually the year 315. And with that wonderful little bit of cross-calendar knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim! Or one may call me Gleeking Tim. Gleeking! (laughs) That is, I'm so glad I gleeked all over my computer, therefore spawning my question of asking you what is the act of spit shooting from underneath your tongue when your mouth is open being gleeking that god it's such a such a funky word that is true it's like weenus hadn't used that term for a long time you 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 made me access the old memory bank so i watched a couple interesting movies uh, over the past couple weeks that I, I don't we're probably not going to ever cover on the show one of them we talked about it during pre-show called fire about the whole fire music festival scandal that you know because it didn't happen and they scammed a shit ton of rich young people i guess that concert in the bahamas uh but then i also watched bandersnatch or snack oh yeah you finally finally watched that yeah the black mirror choose your own adventure film and i gotta say dude that is pretty cool I thought it was fun. I was reading these reviews of people saying that the acting is horrible. Oh, at least they tried. It was a good attempt. No, I mean, it was very good. It was incredibly well thought out and well made. It's obviously not perfect. I think like the decisions and the choices and how they were presented within the story could have been tweaked quite a bit, especially as the movie heads towards its conclusion. Illusion mm-hmm. itself felt shoehorned in. Well, did you did you stick around? Did you stick around long enough to get all the endings? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. So, so you you did get the good ending, and you also worked your way into getting the Netflix ending. I assume. I don't know. I have no idea how to classify any of these endings. You would know if you got it. So you did not get the Netflix ending because there's actually two of those. Really. What happens yes. in the Netflix ending? I know right, I, I'm well, pretty sure I saw them all. Spoiler alert for those who, because I'm not trying to ruin it for those who haven't seen it yet. No, so the Netflix ending is you get to a point where you can, where the computer. That's right. And then you can actually. So did you go that far to get the the multiple? I did, but I can't think of what they were. So one of them is when she turns into John Wick. Interesting. Yeah, no, I did not see that one. I think that was the one ending I missed out on, but I'm pretty sure I saw all the others. I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed the flick. I didn't find it as disturbing as what I was led on to believe it would be. People were saying it's going to be such a disturbing experience. You're going to have to make these awful choices and you have to make some pretty gnarly choices. (laughs) But it felt like... The only way to get the good ending is to dismember your dad. So, I mean, it's kind of dark. Right, (laughs) but it's fun. I'm guessing you didn't watch that with your family over the holiday break. No, 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 I... Uh, I well, I mean, I watched it over the holiday break, but I did not, I did not watch it with the fam, no. And it was fun because I got to watch part of it on my big TV, and then I watched part of it on the computer, and I watched part of it on my tablet. So I was actually able to make all the choices with varying inputs. It was kind of fun. Yeah, my TV wouldn't allow me to play it. I had to watch it on my laptop. I guess the TV that I bought back in 2014 isn't up to date with uh, this. Brand new choose-your-own-adventure technology? I don't know. Did you hear that Black Mirror got sued by the choose-your-own-adventure book company, or whatever they're called, uh, because they call it a choose-your-own-adventure story or something like that? 
Oh, no, no. They referenced the Bendersnatch book as a choose your own adventure. And apparently that company who makes those books, I guess, have a, they have some kind of copyright to that. Well, I do know you can still go to uh, com. I think. Oh, well, we're here now. We're talking about it. Let me check. com. And yep, choose your own adventure. It's still there. It's registered trademark, everything. You can get the original books, all that stuff. Do you think this Bendersnatch movie is going to make this all popular again? Like people are going to watch it and be like, you know what? I'm going to get some of these books and check them out. I hope so. I don't know. I mean, they're still, they still have a pretty dedicated following overall. And the, um, the actual board game, there's, there's actually a choose your own adventure board game now, uh, that we have. We got it for Christmas and it's, I mean, it's really great. Uh, it is completely fun. It literally pulls the text of one of the original books called House of Danger, where <laughs> you play a psychic detective <laughs> who has a, a reverse. Uh, basically, you have a caller ID phone book that you created. It's yeah. I mean, it's so fun because it's from like 1982, 1983. So it's using the same. Uh, the same, literally the same script as the novel and, or the story or whatever. And so they don't change any of the technology and yeah, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. This has been fun, but I imagine we have some news we need to get to. Yeah, we should. And it will not be Oscar nomination news because that happens tomorrow, the day after we record. Yes, here we are recording on the 21st of January and yet the announcements are not until the 22nd of January. And so this is, this is life. This is what's up. Anyway, all right. So without further ado, let's get to the news. What do you say, sir? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> Well, first up from me, since we're not going to be able to do the Oscars yet, let's let's go the other direction. From usatoday.com, by way of Brian Truitt, Razzie Awards, Holmes and Watson, Happy Time, Lead Worst of the Worst, Trump Gets a Nod. Ah, yes, on the Razzie's hit list this year, Puppets, Sherlock's, and The Mob. The nominations are out for the 39th Annual Golden Raspberry Awards, which... Uh, features the very worst films Hollywood has to offer, and the love or hate has been spread out among a number of films. Leading the critically reviled charge this year with six nominations each are the John Travolta crime drama Gotti, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley team up Holmes and Watson, and Dinesh D'Souza's conservative-leaning Death of a Nation, and the Melissa McCarthy comedy the Happy Time Murders. The air quotes here, winners, will be announced February 23rd, the day before the Academy Awards hands out its honors to cinema's finest. Uh, it says here that Gotti, Happy Time, and Holmes are up for worst picture against Winchester, <laughs> with four nominations, including one for Helen Mirren for worst actress and Robin Hood. Um, there is a little bit more to this article in terms of some text about what's happening, and then they actually have a list of all the nominations. I am not going to go through that because I think it's a fun article, and you should check that out at usatoday.com. Again, by way of Brian Truitt, Razzie Awards, Holmes and Watson, Happy Time Lead, Worst of the Worst, Trump Gets an Odd. So, Tim, are you at all surprised to hear about Holmes and Watson being on the Razzie Award list at this point? Because I'm not. But that was such a box office favorite. I'm telling you. Now, now I will say, we covered Happy Time on the show. And let's see here if I can try and find. Do you remember when Happy Time came out? Uh, when did it? I think like January or February. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna zoom back up here. Happy Time Murders was released on August 24th. Oh, wait. Okay. <laughs> wow, it felt like March. <laughs> uh, okay, August, August. Sorry to bother you. Happy Time Murders. Okay, so you gave it a two. I gave it a three. And 
So you didn't like it, but you didn't hate it. I at least liked it enough for what it was to give it a three. But do you think it's worthy of six different Razzie Awards? Do you think it's that bad of a movie? I don't think so. I think it just depends on what it's being nominated for. I mean, Worst Picture, I think it deserves that nomination. I mean, I don't. I can't think of any acting that would be... I don't know. Predator 2018 is a worst movie for both of us. And that... I mean, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... And of course, down. we haven't seen Holmes and Watson. And I haven't seen this Trump documentary... No, I have no, I have absolutely no, none. Okay, but yeah, worst picture, Gotti, no, worst picture, Gotti, Happy Time Murders, Holmes and Watson, Robin Hood, and Winchester. Like, really? And I really? heard Winchester was okay. What? We, we saw Winchester. I no, I never saw Winchester. Hang on, now that's the one with out. Helen Mirren and yeah. Alice, and the. I think you saw it, but I did not. Alright, hang on, let me find out when that came out. Uh, okay, that one was back in February. Let's see here. It did make some money though. It made 41 million bucks on a budget of 3.5 million. Yeah, I guess I must have went and saw it. Yeah, I guess I just went and saw it on a whim because we, I, I didn't, yeah, cover it for the show. It was that memorable though that I don't even remember it for the show, so I guess, yeah. I don't know. At any rate. Fun now, times. on that list, are there performances? There are. Oh, yeah, they have all sorts of fun stuff. They mm. have Worst Picture, Worst Actress, Worst Actor, Worst Supporting Actor, Worst Supporting so what's Actress, the worst, worst actor Screen Combo. Hang on. Worst Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay. Uh, you'd like to know Worst Actor, you said? Yeah, Actor and Actress. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, let's see here. Worst actress, we have Jennifer Garner for Peppermint, Amber Heard for London Fields, Melissa McCarthy for Happy Time Murders and Life of the Party, Helen Mirren for Winchester, and Amanda, Amanda Seyfried for The Clapper, or Seyfried for The Clapper. Worst actor, Johnny Depp, voice, Sherlock Gnomes, Will Ferrell, Holmes and Watson, John Travolta, Gotti, Donald J. Trump as himself for Death of a Nation and Fahrenheit 11.9, and then Bruce Willis, Death Wish. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I found that Bruce Willis gave a better performance in Death Wish than what he gave in Glass. Oh my he may gosh. be looking at a nomination for Glass next year or this year. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to stop there. What do you got for us, sir? All right. So my first two pieces of news. First up from CNN.com and RIP, the lovely Carol Channing, star of Broadway's Hello, Dolly Dies at 97, written by Lisa Respers France, and it says this. Legendary Broadway star Carol Channing has died, her publicist Harlan Bull told CNN on Tuesday. Oh, by the way, uh, this was published on January 15th, 2019. Continuing with the article, she was 97. With her raspy voice and huge smile, Channing was best known for her Tony Award-winning role as Dolly Levi in the hit Broadway musical Hello, Dolly. The current touring company of Hello, Dolly released a statement Tuesday on the star's death, saying, quote, We are deeply saddened by the passing of the one and only Carol Channing. She was a Dolly for the ages and a true icon of the American theater. Betty Buckley and the cast will dedicate tonight's performance in San Diego to her memory, end quote. The actress was born in Seattle to George Channing, a newspaper editor, and his wife, Adelaide. She grew up in San Francisco, where her parents were devout members of the Christian science religion, and her father a popular lecturer for the church. It was her religion that first led her to the theater. Channing and her mother would stand outside venues to distribute copies of the Christian Science Monitor. Years later, Channing also found out that her father had been harboring a secret. He was listed as, quote, colored, end quote, on his birth certificate because of his mother, though his father was Nordic German. Channing told CNN's Larry King back in 2002 that she was proud of her mixed heritage, saying, quote, I was 16 years old, and my mother told me, and you know, only the reaction on me was, gee, I got the greatest genes in show business, end quote. After a brief stint in college, Channing moved to New York, where she made her stage debut in Never Take No for an Answer, and was an understudy in Let's Face It, 
but her role as the diamond-loving showgirl Lorelei Lee in the Broadway musical Gentlemen Prefer Blondes in 1949 made her a star. That was an RIP for Carol Channing via CNN. And then I have here from IGN, Ghostbusters Leslie Jones says new sequel, Like Something Trump Would Do. This here is written by Shabana Arif. And it says this, comedian and actress Leslie Jones has responded to the news of the next Ghostbusters sequel by saying it's insulting. In a tweet sent out multiple times on different threads, Jones expressed her feelings on the news of the 2020 sequel, saying the fact that it's a follow-up to the original 80s films makes it seem like the 2016 film doesn't count. And her tweet was this. So insulting, like, fuck us. We didn't count. It's like something Trump would do, in Trump's voice. Gonna redo Ghostbusters. Better with men. We'll be huge. Those women ain't Ghostbusters. Ugh, so annoying. Such a dick move. And I don't give fuck I'm saying something. End Leslie Jones's Twitter comment. Continuing with the article... Judging by her tweet, Jones's assumption is that the movie will star a cast of men, which she feels will validate some of the criticisms aimed at director Paul Feig's 2016 film and its female Ghostbusters team. The 2020 sequel is rumored to feature a 13-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl as two of its main characters. Jones says her comments are aimed at whoever was making the new film, adding that the response she received to her initial tweet was disappointing. Quote, it's very sad that this is the response I get, when the point is, if they make this new one with all men, and it does well, which it will, it might feel that boys are better. It makes my heart drop. Maybe I could have used different words, but I'm allowed to have my feelings just like them. End Leslie Jones's quote. Jason Reitman will be directing and co-writing the new film, and his father, Ivan Reitman, will be producing. Ivan Reitman directed the two original movies back in 1984 and 1989. Quote, I have so much respect for what Paul created with those brilliant actresses and would love to see more stories from them. However, this new movie will follow the trajectory of the original film, end quote. Actually, that was a Jason Reitman quote, not a Leslie Jones quote. Excuse me. And I'm just going to end the article there. It does go on for a little bit more. Matt, what do you think about Carol Channing's passing? And um, did you watch the teaser trailer for Ghostbusters 3? And does Leslie Jones, I mean, does she make a point at all? To our RIP, uh, that is definitely disappointing. But uh, you said 97, right? Uh, she, she was 97 when she passed? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to give it up. 97, hell of a life. And that is awesome. But still sad because, again, we truly are running out of that generation uh, if we're not almost completely out as it stands, I mean, shoot, Betty White's still with us. She turned, uh, didn't she turn, she turned 94 or 97? I think 94. Week. Yeah. So we still have a few left. Oh, no, no. She's 97. Was it 90? Okay. Yeah. It was, she was 97. It's sad to lose those truly living, living legend links that we have. And that is definitely a bummer, but, uh, you can't, you can't sneeze at, uh, you know, 97 that's a fantastic life um yes i saw the teaser trailer um i am very stoked that they have chosen to sidestep the 2016 ghostbusters um mainly because there's just no there's literally nothing you can do with that material at this point if you try to touch it then it becomes a flame war and if you try and do anything else with it, it becomes a flame war and it's completely politicized. So by doing something completely unique that specifically follows the timeline of the original movies, you now sidestep any issues politically and Internet hotbed wise. But you still have a way to create your own film. So I think Jason Reitman is well on the right track here. I would also like to point out that Jason Wright, uh, uh, Jason Reitman, 
I'm trying to combine Jason and Ivan in my head. <laughs> Jason Reitman was on the set for Ghostbusters um, and literally living and breathing everything that his father was doing at that time. And so if there is anyone who is going to treat it with the respect that it deserves, it's going to be Jason Reitman. So I have no doubt in my mind that taking it in a different direction, using kids, uh, which isn't in of itself a risk because we already know that when you use kids, you're risking just complete terrible acting. So I, I, I mean, so, so it's clearly going to be something new and different. So we've already got that going for us. In terms of Miss Jones, what happened to her on Twitter in the advent of the previous film it was abhorrent. She should not have been treated that way. Internet trolls will be internet trolls, and that's fine. But even if you even if you recognize that and it still drives you away um, under that kind of a shitstorm, she certainly is entitled to her bone to pick. My problem is is that I don't feel that she is being intellectually honest with herself. You can try and claim all you want that the reason that the movie was terrible, uh, I'm sorry, that the reason that the movie didn't succeed was racism and misogyny. But you also don't get to throw that card around, especially the misogyny card, when your B-plot to the movie is all the women drooling over the beefcake who's a blonde idiot and causing all this trouble when the counterpart from the original film was one of the smartest characters who was clearly putting up with the four losers for a paycheck. And I I just... the it's literally like she has missed the train on this. Now, I'm glad she came back and said, look, I can have an opinion. And you are entitled to your own opinion. Absolutely. Everyone is. She is not entitled to her own facts. And the facts of the matter are, the movie didn't do well because the movie wasn't a good movie. And fine, I'm a, I'm, I'm a white male. Oh, well, that does not automatically make me wrong either. And that is what I have to say. Just to get an idea of how Ghostbusters 2016 did at the box office, it came out on July 15th, 2016, with a budget of $144 million. It made $128 million domestically. On the foreign market, it made $100 million. So total worldwide box office intake of $229 million. When I first saw the flick... I remember thinking the first half of it was pretty good, but then it just kind of kept going and there were you could just tell that they were just riffing and improvising the entire film. And with a movie like Ghostbusters, where you're dealing with special effects and gags which feature special effects and a storyline that is... I mean, it, it's a fantasy story. It's a fantasy science fiction story, so there has to be continuity. You can't have a movie where the jokes are just constantly re, uh, being invented on the spot. And then at the same time, you have to reinvent dialogue to throw in there to move the story along. It's obvious that that is what they were doing while watching the film, and it just simply did not work. The actresses were super talented, and I think with a better script and even a better director, they would be a part of the sequel coming out next year. You know, I don't think there would be hey, I'm Paul Feig, and let's go take a look on with that storyline. But let's face it, they made the movie to be as divisive as they possibly could and still keep it a Ghostbusters movie. It just did not work. And that is my Ghostbusters 2016 spiel. Paul Feig? Yes. Uh, while you were doing your spiel, sorry, I didn't realize my microphone was still mount, uh, bleh, 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 muted. I've been trying to read this article. <laughs> I went to YouTube real quick and Googled Paul Feig and waited until I found something that had him talking and he introduced himself. Paul Feig? So, yes. He Not said, Paul hey there, Feige. Paul yeah, he said Paul Feig here. So I was like, there we go. Now I got it. Now we know what to say. We finally know what to say. Um, next, next up, Kevin 
Feige? Feige? Uh, and whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> from the rap.com, now that I'm unmuted and can talk properly. The Mule, uh, by way of, uh, Jer- Jeremy Fuster. The Mule pr- proves Clint Eastwood is still a box office draw at 88. The headlines of the holiday box office belong to Aquaman while Mary Poppins returns and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse brought in family audiences, but farther down the charts, Clint Eastwood quietly left his own mark. After opening a month ago to 17.5, to a 17.5 million dollar launch, Warner Brothers The Mule has a massive domestic total of 101.4 million against a budget of 50 million. Uh, it says here that as a director, Eastwood has had several major hits this decade, the biggest being 2014's highest-grossing domestic release, American Sniper. He also found success with Tom Hanks on the biopic Sully in 2016. But he's had some missteps, too, namely the 1517 to Paris, which only made $57 million worldwide against a $30 million production budget before marketing. Uh, and basically, the rest of the article goes on uh, to simply break down that the majority of... The people who went to see The Mule were over 50. But one thing that they have noticed is that quite a lot of people across all spectrums will go to a Clint Eastwood movie because it's Clint Eastwood. And he is one of the few remaining actors, or actresses for that matter, who can cause a box office draw based on the breadth of their career and it's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting article and i wanted to get your take on it tim do you agree that eastwood despite as i believe we talked about the mule was his last acting gig sure do you think that that do you think that hypothesis holds up that it doesn't really matter how old you are You've still got a pretty good chance of seeing this, of seeing a Clint Eastwood movie because it's a Clint Eastwood movie. Kinda. I think it also pertains to the subject matter of his films. He's been sticking to a lot of like biographies and war related films. I mean, look at, let's see, he did American Sniper a few years back with Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper. That was a huge box office draw. People like to see those flicks. And ever since, I think, Gran Torino, people enjoy seeing Clint Eastwood play those crotchety old man roles, for example, like The Mule. But he's also made plenty of films that just didn't do too well. The war movie he made about the Battle of Iwo Jima. Mm, Yeah, Letters from Iwo Jima. Well, no, there's Letters from Iwo Jima from the Japanese point of view which is an amazing film that is probably my second favorite clint eastwood movie that he's directed it's an amazing film but the one that came out before from the americans point of view i'm trying to remember the name of it flags of our fathers yeah Mm, i don't think that one did as well and that's still a war movie I, i i don't know i think maybe because of his age now there's still a novelty but i mainly think it's the type of films he chooses to make that people gravitate towards people like his politics as well. And some of the films that he makes are slightly political, you know, like the, the, the movie Sully it's political in a certain way, but it's a true American story. He has like this pro Americana theme to his flicks and people flock to that shit, you know, very much like these damn dog movies that are coming out. People are going to flock to go see them. You know, it's not going to be as much as the horde of people that go and see Clint Eastwood movies, but people like specific films that encapsulate a particular feeling that people are most comfortable with. And of course, for Eastwood, it's not the dog aspect. It's the pro-American aspect. Right on. I've got one other quick uh, article that I would like to get your take on as well. Also from the rap.com, this one by way of Beatrice Verhoeven. Kate Blanchett's Where'd You Go, Bernadette pushed five months. Richard Linkletter uh, directs the film that also stars Billy Crudup and Kristen Wiig. Uh, basically, there's nothing inherently wrong with the film. There's no production issues or anything like that that's pushing it back. But the movie itself, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, has been pushed five months from March 22 to August 29th mainly because they feel that the time for the, the the iron being hot, as it were, is going to be in August when 
all of the summer movie blockbuster fatigue has kind of set in, and it seems to be proving a better time for female skewing films, such as uh, Crazy Rich Asians and Florence Foster Jenkins. And what is interesting is that also currently slated for March 22nd, which was the original release date, is Jordan Peele's Us, Cole Sprouse's Five Feet Apart, and Tom Hanks's Greyhound. Um, you know, so there, there might have been that as well. I'm just curious. Do you think, Tim, because it's a very, very short article, please check it out if you'd like to read it in, in its entirety. Rap.com by way of Beatrice Fearhoven, Kate Blanchett's Where'd You Go, Bernadette Pushed Five Months. Do you think that there is actually a better time of year for, air quotes here, female skewed films? Like, like, women seem to go to the movies in August? Does that, does that seem it's right weird i yeah, heard that about this very weird. Yeah, a week yeah. ago or so it's weird it's like i mean you can't really use that in your promotional material you know if you enjoyed seeing crazy rich asians <laughs> on friday yada 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 last year get ready because you're gonna enjoy I mean, it doesn't make a lot of a lot of sense where'd you go bernadette i went to august bitch i went to august that's where i went yeah. um <laughs> I, just, I mean, yeah. award season fodder might be, you know, that would make a little more sense to me. But because Crazy Rich Asians and Flor, 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 Flores, Florence Foster <laughs> Jenkins did well six years ago on that date, it just doesn't, I don't know, it just, it's kind of dumb. Yeah. I My guess is, is that I don't think that they think it's a, it's a poor movie. I think that they were scared by Jordan Peele's Us. And I think they wanted to pick another slower time so that people will be more inclined to see it. Now, I would buy that the summer blockbuster fatigue will have been setting in by August and people will be kind of done with most of the blockbuster aspects of things and looking for something a little different. And so I think that's a better one. But yeah, the female skewed viewing thing seemed kind of fishy to me as well. So I'm glad you noticed that. I'm glad you kind of feel the same way to a certain extent there. And that is my news. What else do you got for us, sir? I'm going to end my news with this THR, the Hollywood Reporter.com article published on January 18th. Toy Story 3 Coco director Lee Uncrick leaving Pixar after 25 years. This is an exclusive for THR, and it's written by Frederick M. Brown. And it says this, The move marks the end of an era. Lee Uncrick, the Oscar-winning director behind Toy Story 3 and Coco, is leaving Pixar Animation Studios. The move marks the end of an era as Uncrick has been at the Emeryville, California-based studio for 25 years, joining the company when it was making its inaugural feature, Toy Story, on which he served as an editor. He then went on to co-direct some of the company's earlier outings, which are now considered classics, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., and Finding Nemo, before taking the reins solo with the billion-dollar grossing Toy Story 3. On Friday, the filmmaker informed Pixar employees of his decision, saying, quote, I'm not leaving to make films at another studio. Instead, I look forward to spending much needed time with my family and pursuing interests that have long been backburned, end quote. On Saturday, Uncrick tweeted a letter he sent to his colleagues at Pixar Saying, quote, it is impossible for me to adequately express how epic this 25-year journey has been and how much it has meant to work alongside such fantastic people and phenomenal talents. Many of you are like family to me, and it's nearly incomprehensible to imagine no longer being here at Pixar with you, end quote. Sources say that the departure is amicable, with Uncrick leaving on a high note, Coco made over $807 million worldwide and won the Best Animated Feature Academy Award at the 2018 Oscar Ceremonies. You can check it out on thehollywoodreporter.com via their article, Toy Story 3 Coco director Lee Uncrick leaving Pixar after 25 years exclusive. 
Matthew, what do you think about this? Is this a major blow to Disney Pixar or do they have another or or do they have enough trainees under their belt that can adequately take the reins of creativity? As it stands now, I believe this is pretty much the end of the first I don't know golden age i don't know i i well i would i i think it's fair to argue that the golden age of pixar ended a few movies ago i think we i think like fair to say we're in a silver age and i would probably say this is the end of the silver age i think it's pretty much nothing but downhill for pixar for a little while it's not to say they won't turn it around that's not to say we won't have something even more glorious within the next five to ten years but um, outside of Coco, the last original property they had was Good Dinosaur, and it was terrible. Um, and everything else has been mediocre sequels. Um, their their next big thing is a fourth Toy Story movie, which, while strictly speaking, no one really asked for any of the Toy Story sequels. Um, you. M- for all intents and purposes, put a truly definitive end to the Toy Story franchise just to bring it back. I, you know, I'm not... How depressing will this ending be? But see, that's just it, though. So the first one was like, oh, well, we can face anything together. And then the second one was, it doesn't matter what you were meant for. It matters what you mean to the child and you ride that for as long as you can because that's what it means to be a toy and so it has this wonderful little bittersweet note to the end of toy story 2 because they know that the ride is going to end but but they know they'll have each other and they'll ride it together and so you didn't really need a toy story 3 but the toy story 3 we got really and truly kind of brought it all to a close, especially in regards to Andy. Andy literally passes the toys on. And so you've kind of got this wonderful idea where, and I thought they were doing a great job with it. They they could do little shorts, little specials every once in a while, so that you could still keep the Toy Story dream alive, but not have to do it in such a way where you have to make this big, huge, grandiose film anymore. And then they go ahead and do it anyway. Um I, I, I'm, I'm sure Coco 2 back from the grave will be, uh, equally interesting and Cars 17 will find us, you know, where they've jumped the shark and now their toys as well because it'll coincide with Toy Story 7. Um, it's just, I don't see them going anywhere anymore. Uh, I don't see original ideas and IPs coming out anymore um and it's sad it's sad but i wish him all the best it sounds like he is legit just retiring god could you imagine being 51 and having half your life be the most memorable shit that hollywood has ever seen and touched billions of lives and then just be able to go yeah cool i'm gonna take a break that's that's amazing. That's amazing, and I wish him all the happiness. But in terms of uh, in terms of Pixar, uh, yeah, I think they're toast for a while, personally. And and I hope I'm wrong, but I think they're toast for a while, at least. Burnt toast, crispy toast, buttered toast. Well, what let's say buttered toast? toast. I let's <laughs> let's say buttered toast. Buttered toast. Buttered toast. And that's my news. All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of the news then. Next week, because of the Oscar announcements, we'll do news one more time. And then after that, we'll have another fun bonus segment because we'll have gone three weeks without a fun bonus segment. And we should probably do one of those pretty quick. Uh, so without further ado, I guess that brings us to the movies. Does it not, sir? It does indeed. Then here we go, folks. It's the movie. We <laughs> All right, and 
this week's movies are glass and on the basis of sex. So here's what's going to happen because Matt had a whole bunch of shit going on in life that he didn't properly plan for. He didn't get to see glass, but he made his wife and his family very happy. And that means that Tim was okay with it this one time. (laughs) So Tim is going to start off with glass so that we can come together and discuss together on the basis of sex as a finale. So, without further ado, Glass. Elijah's changed over the years. He's given up. We keep him heavily sedated. But there is a reason for that. He's too smart for them. You won't be lonely anymore. You have two new friends. The three of you think you have extraordinary gifts, like something out of a comic book. I've developed an effective treatment for this disorder. The light will force a different identity to take over. Por favor, senora. I want my headphones back. Step away from the controls now, little doctor. Can't beat the beast! So you're not going to shake my hand and let me walk out of here? (laughs) Good for you. What do you want? I am here to see if tales of the extraordinary being are true. May I meet the beast? I'm Mary Reynolds. I need your abilities to get us all out of here and show the world we exist. That sounds like the bad guys teaming up. Do you believe you are an avenging angel? I have to get out of here before he gets up. They are contained. They always underestimate the mastermind. It has begun, David. I found someone who will require your full potential. You shouldn't be hiding in the shadows. You might want to try and stop us. A lot of people are going to die. Now, who'd like a PB and J sandwich? We are not meant to have this much power. Finally, all of us together for the world to see what we are capable of. You need to get out of here. Okay, since, Matt, you haven't seen the movie, I am not going to go in-depth La 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 la, (laughs) not listening, la la. I'm just kidding. All right, I'm muting the microphone. All right. I'm not going to go in-depth at all because I think this movie would be a great discussion piece due to what the movie is. If you enjoyed Unbreakable back when it first came out, like I did, and Split, Glass has a different vibe to it. Like how Split had a different vibe than Unbreakable. And I think people were expecting more Split. They wanted a continuation of Split. But you couldn't do that, because you then had to go back and reintroduce some of the themes that Unbreakable touched on 20 years ago or so by dissecting the superhero drama and making it more of a drama, I should say. Glass is a good film. It's not a great film. Parts of it is straight up awful Shyamalan, awful M. Night Shyamalan. But then the things that you come to know and love of M. Night Shyamalan are in this movie as well. And it kind of becomes frustrating until a point, and mainly like the 30-minute mark, because in my opinion, the first 30 minutes of the movie needed to be redone. And it easily could have been redone. I don't want to nitpick on it right now until Matt, I'm sure you're going to see it pretty soon. I would think you're going to see it pretty soon since you enjoyed Unbreakable and then you did enjoy Split. And overall, I believe you do like M. Night Shyamalan, despite his handful of misses. I would not classify Glass as a miss. However, I do believe it could have been so much better. And there are issues with this film that are so glaring that you can't believe that he didn't even catch it while filming. And I wish I could tell you what those things are but i don't want to say anything because i want to see if matt you acknowledge them or you notice them when you see it but i still give it a three out of five if you're interested in it go and check it out don't read any of the reviews people are pretty dumb but it's not a great movie it's entertaining fair enough yes between all my friends 
uh, not my friends, all the work people, and now my wife. Uh, yeah, it's gonna get done ideally this week. Um, and and I, I make this commitment. I will get it done this week so that I can make a impromptu discussions segment out of it. I don't know, but we'll we'll we will get it done, sir. All right, that leaves us with on the basis. Of sex. There are 178 laws that differentiate on the basis of sex. Women can work overtime. We have to get credit cards in our husband's name. You think you can change the country? You should look to her generation. They're taking to the streets. Protests are important, but changing the culture means nothing if the law doesn't change. What did you say your name was? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to be a lawyer. I want to represent clients in pursuit of justice. So they're going to give you a corner office? I wasn't what they were looking for. One said women are too emotional to be lawyers. Another told me a woman graduating top of her class must be a real ball buster. I worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to, and I excelled. Martin Ginsburg will be signing all of our checks someday. <laughs> You're a smart girl, Ruthie. You married a star. If the law differentiates on the basis of sex, then how will women and men ever become equals? I don't read tax court cases. Read this one. The law assumes a caregiver has to be a woman. This is sex-based discrimination against a man. Poor guy. We need to take this case. This is not a case. This is a declaration of war. They could topple the whole damn system of discrimination. You cannot they think gender equality is a civil right. What's at stake is the American family. Let's put this idea to bed once and for all. You will lose. And when you do, you will set the woman's movement back 10 years. You don't get to tell me when to quit. I know this case disrupted our lives. Who's it for if not for me? You've been ready for this your whole life. So go in there and let the judges see the Ruth Ginsburg I know. We're not asking you to change the country. That's already happened without any court's permission. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. A 2018 American biographical legal drama film is based on the life and early uh, cases of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is directed by Mimi Letter and written by Daniel St- Stipleman, who is related, I uh, ne- nephew, I think, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, yeah, it basically goes over her very early life, getting through law school, graduating from law school, finally trying to get somewhere uh, in terms of getting a job. And then ultimately, the movie lands at the halfway mark where it comes to the Moritz case. Um, who went up against the IRS because they were denying him uh, part of his tax return because he was an unmarried man and this specific code he was trying to take advantage of because he was taking care of his mom and trying to get certain exemptions uh, was only for married, uh, like widowed men, divorced men, or widowed widows, divorcees, generally women, and men who were caring for an invalid wife. And so she ends up taking this up for, you know, like 10th circuit court of appeals and yada, 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 yeehaw. So Felicity Jones is, uh, the star here. She's playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Army hammer plays her husband. And, um, you got a pretty good supporting cast. Uh, I mean, you got the likes of, Sam Waterston and Stephen Root. You've got uh, Kathy Bates in there, Justin Theroux. So, I mean, you, you, you've got uh, a fun cameo by uh, RBG herself. The movie, here's what's up. The movie is not terrible, but it's pretty much paint by number. You know what I mean? It's got specific notes that it's trying to hit for a specific story that it's trying to tell. And the story is not so much about how awesome Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, despite the fact that it shows how driven she was and how and how she owned up and took care of business both at home and at school when um oh good lord, uh Martin, her husband, comes down with cancer, right? 
the film is basically kind of like the 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 gateway that opened up everything the the whole point of the idea of something on the basis of sex was because she was tired of having to deal with sex discrimination and she felt that if she could set the precedent and that's the story behind the second half of the movie that's why this case i believe was chosen despite the fact that she has had other more let's show you say tangible cases that might be something a little meatier that audiences would like more beyond this case but this was the landmark case this was the case that set the precedent that allowed everything else to go forward that kind of was in its own way the foundation of her career uh that started her meteoric rise and so Again, it's, it's just, it's paint by numbers. It's good. It's decent. It's just nothing special. And I think for someone of her caliber, it needed to be something special. And I think what really hurts it is the fact that once again, the idea that we here, we egalitarian audiences here in the United States and our love affair of all things British think that we can use British actors and actresses because they're so versatile and they're so amazing. Yeah, well, just like Dick Van Dyke can't do a fucking Cockney accent, sometimes British actors and actresses can't do Brooklyn accents either. Really? You didn't like her accent? No. I was actually kind of surprised. It's all over the place. It's inconsistent and not well done. No, I did not like it. I did not like it at all, and it was grating on me by the end of the movie. It was consistently American, though. Our accents are consistently American. Does that mean we can do a Brooklyn accent? Well, no, but at least she, at least it wasn't going into... neither can she! At least it wasn't going into English, though. No, no. What what I mean is this... She's supposed to be a hard-hitting Brooklyn woman, and she is trying to embody that in her accent, and she floats in and out of that the whole movie, um, especially when those minuscule moments like when, when she's kind of second-guessing herself and she's kind of struggling a little bit and things like that. Um I just felt, yes, I apologize. I don't mean to mischaracterize that she did not have an American accent throughout. She did not have a good Brooklyn accent throughout. So, just to be clear. Um, at the end of the day, this movie is nothing special, guys. Um, I think that the documentary that we covered last year was better. And... I think that perhaps, despite the fact that the case itself was, like I said, the platform that caused her to get her meteoric rise, I think it should have been something that was loosely touched on. Not, not like an a la Rocky montage or something, but something that maybe the first half of the movie could have been based on. So you could kind of get the foundation of her and her legal style and how she how she, you know, earned her chops, so to speak, so that when you got to something bigger, some of the bigger cases, that could have been the meat and the potatoes of the back end of the movie, subsequently landing her into the Supreme Court. That, I think, would have been a better movie to make. As it stands now, for me, two and a half. It's it's a perfectly okay movie, but it's nothing special. Look for it on Lifetime. <laughs> Bring us home there, Tim. That's hilarious you say that, because I was actually expecting the movie to be slightly, at least slightly, a Lifetime movie cheese fest. But instead, I found it to be a very inspiring bio that actually does great justice to such an enduring woman. And <laughs> After watching the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, RBG, I thought Felicity Jones did a Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't like me. She doesn't speak like I, Tim, from the SLS cast, where I start talking and my brain is nowhere near where it should be thinking of the words that need to come out of my mouth that is now in the process of expelling some kind of dialogue. She's not like me. 
she thinks about her words and she thinks about what she needs to say because she understands the importance of the spoken word, especially when it comes to politics and the Constitution and representing the Constitution. I thought Felicity Jones did a very good job at portraying that and incorporating that into her performance. Now, did it feel like I was seeing Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the screen? No. To me, it was a performance, but it was a very good performance. I thought it was a very good movie. If you're interested in seeing it, I'd say definitely check it out. My more significant SO wanted to go see it, so I took her, and she loved it. And she didn't see RBG, I don't think, but she thoroughly enjoyed On the Basis of Sex. I thought it was an entertaining movie. A lot of the issues and politics that they touch on are still relevant today. And there is a lot of juicy details within the film that I absolutely loved. So I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 5. I'm a little bit more critical on it, but it's still a very fine movie. And Army Hammer does a great job. I mean, he's pretty much worth the price of admission <laughs> because of how good of a character he portrays. 3.5 out of 5. Right on. And for me, yes, I would say that, like, I guess if you had to choose one for me, if you had to choose the documentary or the or the biopic, I personally would choose the documentary. I thought the documentary was good. Um, it, so take take from that what you will. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies, as it stands currently, list is subject to change due to. Oscar nominations. We're looking at At Eternity's Gate and Destroyer. And so I think that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on! Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. It's a cutting thing, Say, 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 Chomp the one to help, chomp the one to help. Say, can't hang, say, seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in it. Music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both sass Cries of Solace. As for us, we're, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information super high when tracked on 10 on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show head on over to patreon.com and check us out over there and so until next week this is matt saying the thanks to felicity jones i get to say this i think human nature is eternal and constant take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.
Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.